Blog Talk Radio. This is the Dollamore Daily, and I'm Jesse Dollamore. This is the George Wilder To be president Jr. means show. to have a lot on your plate, <laughs> a lot of responsibility. Dollamore, folks. The health and welfare of almost 350 million Americans. It means the defense, providing for the common defense of the nation, being the commander-in-chief of the armed forces. It means a lot. It's an important, maybe the most important job on the planet, because what happens here, even economically, affects countries all across the world. What happens here ripples out across the globe and affects other countries. That's not to say the that the, the president is the be-all, end-all of everything. Air. Certainly. Thank you.
take. How many more examples are we going to get? I actually thought that we were going to get over all this. I thought this was finally going to start ending with all these changes. We saw the police chief resign today. We don't have the exact reasons why, but I can theorize that maybe it's because she even realized, what more can I do training-wise? They know they shouldn't have done that. Do we need to start over and rehire all the officers to retrain them? What other options do we have? The problem is that they've been given leeway to use lethal force for all too often and too long. And this is what we're left with. And as we are just getting this case, the details are just getting more horrific. Because there were multiple witnesses out there. We talked to some witnesses today who said that the officers went and put on plastic gloves and picked up their shell casings after they killed him before rendering aid. We counted two minutes and 16 seconds before they even checked his pulse. And people wonder why everyone's bad. Just watch the video as he lays there dying. The officers stand around. One kicks him and flips him over. And then the witnesses tell us that which we can't see on camera, but they filmed it. They went and picked up the shell casings. I wonder why. So that all of you can't know how far away he was when they shot? So that you can't find their positions when they use that weapon? But they appear to be caring more about covering their tracks than providing aid. Aid that could have saved his life if allegedly he was taken to the hospital and died in surgery, but they didn't give that to him. So we agree with the mayor saying that the officer that fired should be, I mean the officer uh, that fired his weapon should be terminated and he should also be prosecuted. Um, the family met with Paul Howard and they've opened their investigation and I can even say we want justice, but I don't, I don't even care anymore. I don't even know what that is. And I've been doing this for 15 years. I don't know what justice is anymore. Is it getting him arrested? Is it getting somebody fired? Is it a chief stepping down? I know that this isn't justice, what's happening in, in society right now. You know, it's, it's just not much more we can say or do as a society. So people that are refusing change and um, not understanding why the time is now for complete systematic change. Take a look. And then compare it to all the videos online where it was a white individual that had a deadly weapon that wasn't killed which we've also been looking at today, trying to understand why didn't they get shot? And why did Rashard have to when he's running? And that answer I don't have yet. Other than that, it's just tiring. And I'm sure everybody's tired of seeing it. You know, we're, we're, we're so concerned about trying to find a vaccine for the coronavirus. The world is pitching in. We're pitching in millions and millions and millions of dollars. Scientists from around the world are trying to help find a vaccine, but nobody's trying to find a vaccine for civil rights abuses. It's something that we're told to wait for. It'll come. Nobody's trying to find a vaccine for why officers pulled the trigger so quick on African Americans. 
There's no flood of money or scientists or the top experts or our leadership in this country trying to end that epidemic. But I guess that is because it doesn't hit close to home to the people that care. So once again, and I'll say it as the millionth time as y'all seen me fight one of these cases, we'll fight for justice. We'll try and get the cop arrested or whatever it may be. Sue the city and, and see if they'll settle. I, I, I don't know. But we're just tired. And if you don't understand that because you may be a different color, you may be a different gender, uh, you may not be from Georgia, then you may be the problem. I think the, the word that encapsulates everything that Chris just said to you is empathy. Um, this is all that all of these families are asking for and that we're asking for as representatives of these families. Just a little empathy. Um, if this officer today uh, had been a little more empathetic and um, a bit less scared, then we probably wouldn't have a dead client. Uh, and We wouldn't be here talking to you like we are right now. There are a lot of things, uh, systemic things wrong with policing in this country. And I think that um, over the past few weeks, we've talked about a lot of them. You've seen a lot of them on tape. Um, and like Chris said, we're tired. I mean, we will keep doing this as long as there's a need, but we don't want there to be a need to do this anymore. The, the first failing that I saw when I saw this tape was training. Because just as Chris said, if a taser isn't a deadly weapon, then it's not a deadly weapon when I have it, it's not a deadly weapon when an officer has it, it's not a deadly weapon when anyone else has it. When our client has the taser, they're going to say it's a deadly weapon, and it's not. There were two officers, one of him, and their training failed them. That's number one. Number two, leadership failed them. And I don't want to see anyone lose their job, but maybe the police chief needed to resign because whatever they're doing from the top, it's not reaching the bottom. And if they are doing it correctly from the top and that's what they're trying to get across to their officers, then it's not working and it needs to change immediately because this can't happen again. Policing in this country, in this city, needs to change to something more empathetic, something more community-based. Police are necessary, but the way that they are policing our communities is wrong, it's causing death, and we're not going to stand for it anymore. Obviously, obviously, you see that the people are not going to stand for it anymore. Um, I think a lot of things and a lot of these minor changes are happening because people are scared. And they're scared for their things. They're scared for a building or a store. Um, they're scared for a restaurant. But yeah, I agree. People the lives scared. of these people, of our people, of Americans, of black people, of human beings, in my opinion, are more important than any store or restaurant that um, is in Buckhead or Bankhead or anywhere else. That's number two. 
And the third thing I would say is fear. Listen, I don't know those two officers personally, right? But just from watching the tape, I could tell that they were scared. And it's understandable that is a, um, a hard profession, policing. But if you have fear, you don't need to be a police officer. Um, totally if agree. If you do not understand the community a that you're policing in, you do not need to be a police officer. Out on the streets, they're scared shitless. If you are not comfortable with black people, white people, brown, yellow, whatever, people, you don't need to be a police officer. A police officer is as much of a counselor as they are anything else. And I believe that if we go back to the leadership and the training that I spoke of earlier, you'll see that these officers aren't taught that. They're taught to crack heads. And when they can't crack heads, they're taught to shoot. And that's resulting in death, and we can't have that anymore, and we won't have that anymore. So I don't think this is going to end um, anytime soon. And frankly, I want everyone watching and everybody here you know, to understand we're not asking for protesters not to go out and protest. We need to keep pushing. We need to let everyone know that this is unacceptable, and we're not going to just move on to the next tragedy. This probably won't be the last tragedy, and that's a sad thing. But we're going to treat every single one like it shouldn't have happened. We're going to go as hard as we can for this one, like we're going for uh, George Floyd and his daughter, and like we're going for Ahmaud Arbery and his mother, and like we're going for Alton Sterling, and every other single case and single person that should be here today that's not here with us. Because at the end of the day, and this is what we, we get back to, I, I mean, if you look around and you see our firm, we are white, black, Asian, brown, yellow, green, whatever. It doesn't matter. We're all people. And so if we can see that, we don't understand why the police can't see that. And there are some people who have now opened their eyes and woken up and they see that and we think that's great. But we want you to put pressure on the police, put pressure on the mayor, put pressure on your governors, put pressure on everyone to let them know you will not take this anymore. You're going to stand up. And, and this is not just black people because we've been dealing with this our entire lives. Um, this is for, for everyone else who hasn't been dealing with this, who's dealing with it now. Stand up with us, uh, push with us, fight with us. When you see us in Minnesota, fight with us. And when you see us here in Atlanta and in Brunswick, fight with us. Because our fight is your fight. This is, this is the United States of America. We're coming up on, on July 4th. And this is going to be a very weird July 4th for a lot of people. Very different. Because people are coming to the realization that America doesn't mean America for all Americans. And that's a problem. So keep yeah, pushing. Fight with it's, us. It's, and it's uh, hopefully we'll get some change. And this will be the last time we have to have a press conference about a dead black man killed. I by doubt it. For no <laughs> I doubt it. Um, another they thing putting like, on some guy hanging from a tree that some of the witnesses said is they didn't do a sobriety test there there was no count to a hundred or whatever it is and walk this line they said that they were just talking and it seemed to be a decent conversation and then all of a sudden one of the officers grabbed him and told him he's under arrest so this started from Nothing. This wasn't a bank robbery in progress or anything violent. 
They just told him he was under arrest. And now I see that they're reporting, oh, it was a suspected DUI or he was fell asleep blocking the line. He wasn't blocking the line. And they didn't even do a sobriety test from what the witnesses right there said. So why was he even under arrest? You want to know how this could have been avoided and all of the protests that are going to happen and all this? Talk to him. Talk. Hey, buddy, you fell asleep in line. You okay? Why don't you pull your car over there and call an Uber? And then you walk over and you leave. Why is that so hard for police officers? A conversation. He wasn't doing anything crazy or violent or uh, harming anyone. Hey, buddy, I think you've had something to drink. Maybe, but I guess they didn't feel like doing a sobriety test. Pull over there, call an Uber. I guarantee you that happens hundreds of times a night in college towns with young white kids or other places in America. But we don't get that benefit of the doubt. So not only do officers like that destroy the image of policing, which I have always held in a high standard, even though I'm always going against the officers, but y'all are even starting to break me. And I'll, most of y'all know that I'll get up there and I'll say I have respect for officers and, you know, I'm policing, but Jesus, y'all, like even I'm starting to lose hope. And that's... Um, Hard. But y'all got any questions? Not much. Chris, your resignation as a police chief, how does that sit with the team? Is, is that a step in the right direction? I don't care. So, Chris, I'm here today. Um, DEI released a video of the surveillance video from Wendy's, and one of the things they pointed out was that she mentioned the taser in Mr. Burke's hand, him reaching back and pointing. I mean, I think they were just releasing the full surveillance video of, you know, the parking lot. I'm sure there's more video. Um, like I said, witnesses have video of some of these horrific actions. Um, in that video that GBI released, you also can sit there and count how long they let that body lay on the ground before touching him or even trying to assist him. So, you know, the video is helpful for us. Um, it's also helpful to show that they were far apart when he's running and, and you know, pointing it backwards. Um, but the case law in Georgia, a taser's not a deadly weapon. So they can't say it's not like he was running off with a gun. It's not a deadly weapon. I, I've, I lose cases against officers who use it on my clients because it's not a deadly weapon. And I'm saying that, you know, they shouldn't have done it. But you just can't have it both ways in this. If it's not a deadly weapon, um, his life was not in immediate harm uh, when he fired that shot. It just was not. It wasn't. And I watched one of the most conservative uh, police chiefs commentating today, and even he said that there were other options he could have done um, and that a taser isn't a deadly weapon. Ask taser. Is a taser a deadly weapon? I promise you they're going to say no. Chris, what you said the more you find out, the more you get. What are some examples of that? Well, there's just so many witnesses that saw it. You know, we didn't know that they picked up their shell casings before GBI got there to investigate the scene before. I don't know. I'm sorry, Chris, I haven't seen the video. Is there 
Worries. Uh, we're not, we haven't gotten all of the audio yet. Um, I think the district attorney's office is also talking to all these witnesses. So. Yeah, there could be a thousand reasons for someone running from the police, right? So just imagine that if you're sleeping in your car because you're trying to drink something off and you get officers knocking on your window hard, right? The current climate of police officer and black male interaction is not the best, right? So that might scare you at that time of night. So yes, you stand up and you're talking to them and then they, they're telling you they want you to do something. That might not be what you want to do at that time. And so, yes, he tried to get away. That's what it looked like. We don't know because we can't talk to him, right? But he, it looked like he tried to get away, and they would not let him get away. They were hell-bent on stopping him, and they stopped him, right? So, so, yes, getting away from a situation that could be detrimental to you also turned into another central situation that was detrimental to you. It's a no-win situation. You can't get out of it. And, and so... That's probably what happened, but like I said, we can't speak to it. And, and I always try and look at from these situations to look at how was it justified for the officer? Because I don't ever want to look at something just totally unfairly. And there's just no excuse in this one. If they had maybe shot while the tussle was going on and, you know, they said, oh, he reached for my gun. And, you know, that's normally how these happen. They're rolling around on the ground or there's a fight for the gun and then they shoot right then. That's not what happened. If this would have happened while they were all rolling on the ground and you hear someone say, gun, and he's reaching for my gun, okay, maybe. That didn't happen. They didn't feel like their life was in danger while they were tussling on the ground or rolling around and grabbing things. No, they waited until he ran off. So their justification went out the door after... We, they let them run. We also got to check on the emotional state of these officers. I mean, because it gets personal, you know, and I, I, this is a, a thing when you're in the field, and we understand this, that it is a personal thing. It gets personal to them. But as a professional in the situation, they have to divorce themselves from that emotional aspect of that job. Because if you don't, someone can die like we saw today uh, or like we saw with that officer in George Floyd. It, is, it, it can get personal. We understand there's combat. There are big guys wrestling and fighting. But at a certain point, the professional in you has to come out, and you have to calm down and be the professional and show that you have training, which hasn't happened and definitely didn't happen last year. What would be helpful, Mr. Brooks? How do you put it up here? Father, um, working at a tortilla place, actually. Um, Family loved him to death. We had more family members at that house today than I could count. Um, a ton of brothers and sisters that love him more than life. Um, he was supposed to take his daughter skating today yeah. for her birthday. It's just, and I'm sick of um, sitting in somebody's house and their little kid is playing with us and we're sitting there trying to laugh with a one-year-old or a two-year-old or an eight-year-old knowing, you know, that they'll never see their, their dad again. And I'm literally sick of it.
she she had on uh, when we were there today. She had her birthday dress on because she was waiting for her dad to come pick her up to take her to uh, go skating. Yesterday, her and her dad went. She got her nails done and her toes done. Uh, they got something to eat. And today she was waiting on that. So while we were over there, they had a, a birthday party for her. You know, today there was a birthday. Yes, eighth birthday today with cupcakes. While we were sitting there talking to her mom about why her dad's not coming home. Um, that's the part of it that we see every day that everybody doesn't see, and that's the part that just it hits you. It hits you right here. It's it's, it's terrible. Chris, when you think of Walter Scott, when you think of five years ago, a little over five years ago. That's what they say. Twenty years. Twenty years for killing him. What do you say about that, Mike? I mean, that's, the, that's literally the case that popped in my mind the whole time I was sitting there um, today, and Justin and I talked about it, is it's just like Walter Scott. You know, people will forgot about that case because it's been so long and it was so horrific, is they said the same thing. Oh, he took my taser, and I shot him while we were wrestling for the taser. And then once we got our hands on the video, we saw that he shot him in the back, you know, 30 yards away. Um, and in that case, they tried to, the whole taser, um, he could have killed me with the taser argument, and it didn't work. Um, so it, it literally brings back memories of Walter Scott, even watching him get shot in the back, just like Walter Scott. Um, and then it was really horrible hearing the witnesses say that they were picking up shell casings or tampering with the scene, whatever they were doing, because that happened in Walter Scott. The officer went and threw the taser close to the dead body. So it's just horrible to be reliving the Walter Scott case again. And, and one thing we, we want to make sure people know, we don't think this is, you know, these are one-offs. We know they're not. We're seeing them more and more, and that's not because society is getting worse. It's just because technology is getting better, right? There are more cameras everywhere, so we're seeing more of this stuff. But it's the same stuff. It's been happening. The difference is you can't lie in your report because there's a camera that's going to get you, right? You can't make up some story because there's a camera that's going to get you. You can't throw a taser close to somebody because there's a, t a camera that's going to come get you. We, we saw today what happened last night. We saw it. And, and while Mr. Brooks was not perfect, uh, he didn't, he, I mean, he could have done a couple things too. And we're not saying he couldn't have but the officer had the last best chance to stop that from happening. He had the most training to stop that from happening, and he didn't do that, and that resulted in our client's death. Is there anything the witness agreement was telling you about what, what, what led to a struggle, like what was said in the car? What hey, no, they're confused because they thought that the conversation appeared civil or decent. Um, they didn't you know, see him screaming at the cops or doing anything, and then out the blue they said they just tried to arrest him, and of course he got upset and pulled away like why what it, you know what are y'all doing and then it, it went from there um and that's i see it too many times if you're not going to explain why you're going to arrest somebody or tell me put i'm going to not turn why am i getting arrested i can ask what's going on um why can't you have a conversation with them about why he's being arrested No, they were, they were speaking out, outside of the vehicle from what they said. Um, so he willingly got out. Um, but like I said, this just happened yesterday. We were still talking to people, but every witness, white, black, um, 
they're just blown away because they said it net like it should not have happened, and that there was no reason for him to shoot him while he was running off. Um, this wasn't a violent crime. They had his ID. They knew where he lived. They knew what kind of car he was. They have the car. You know, like where's he going? But it's just because you know the value of life. Um, gone somewhere. It's like a video game where you just think you shoot somebody and it's not an actual father or a human being. Um, I'm just starting to lose faith. I've known you for years. Yeah, oh no. I mean, that's that's never that's not gonna change. I mean we'll keep fighting these as long as we have to and making sure people get fired or resign or whatever, um, or get put in jail because I mean we have to do our part to try and make it stop. But the one thing that Justin are really realizing is it's a national effort. Black, white, male, female, like the only way this is gonna change is if everybody keeps coming together. Um, people who are conservative or didn't want to speak up or say anything. You've got to speak up. You just got to speak up. You mentioned training alert. Is it time to overhaul training altogether? I mean, it seems like in all these cases, you would have to do that training. Is it the nature of the training, or is it? It's, it's, and Chris, we've covered a million of these. What, what, what is, we know there are so many loopholes. There is no clear time of when to shoot or not to shoot. It's always in the mind of that officer. Well, sometimes that, mental state of that officer is not okay. They're not well. They're not, you know, they're too angry. They're too upset. It should be, this wouldn't have happened if there's, you cannot shoot someone unless they're pointing a gun at you or unless they're brandishing a gun. You just can't shoot them. You can't shoot them if they have a taser. You can't shoot them if they have a knife and they're 50 feet away. Or you go to jail. There's just, there aren't definite rules like that. Lawyers have rules. Doctors have definite rules. You can't leave something in somebody's body. But with police officers, it's so much gray area when being a police officer is the most powerful job in this country. There's no other job where you could take someone's life, liberty, or freedom. You just, you just, there's no job that is as powerful as a police officer. They should be up on the standard of doctors and lawyers and looked at like that, but they're not. And that's got to change. The, 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 to the training question you just asked, it does need to be overhauled. Um, we need to focus more on de-escalation and less on militarization. Um, the police officers, they walk around in these neighborhoods, they have flag jackets on, some of them have ARs and other assault-type rifles. They are armed to the teeth, and then they're walking around people uh, intimidating and inciting fear. There used to be a time when police officers, officers would walk around and you know their name, they know your name, they know where you went to school and your mom and all that kind of stuff. That time is over, especially in the black community. I mean, I don't really remember a time that that has been the case in the black community, and now that time is completely over. So we need to focus the police department more on de-escalation. And if officers are going to be in the community, check and see how, how close these two officers live to that community that, that they were policing. I guarantee you they live nowhere near there, right? And if they did, check and see what kind of contacts they had in the community. Did they go to church there? Uh, did their kids go to school in that community? I, I guarantee you the answer is no. Because if they did, they would understand that, hey, 
these are people too, and maybe I can deal with them the same way I deal with the people who live close to me. Yeah. And, and, that, and that has a lot to do with empathy, like I said before, and training for de-escalation and not militarization. And this week, other than, you know, to assist in trying to solve this policing issue, we'll be releasing our thoughts and ideas over um, what changes we think could end this from having handled so many of these. Um, All right, thanks everybody. We have to go. The George Wilder Jr. Show is now on the air. This is what I call freedom.
defund the post office. Um, he made no bones about it. He's not trying to hide it. There's a new postmaster I'm hearing is going to take over on Monday, Trump's postmaster. Someone he has put at the top at the post office to screw around with uh, mail-in votes. Yeah, I mean, this is serious. If this is, you know, people are saying that it's, it's serious. It's very serious because it could turn the election his way. This is what this man wants. So he's screwing around with a, I mean, with a century-old institution or so. And the post office is, is America. It is America. You screw around with the post office, you screw around with America. And Trump's screwing around with America. He doesn't want to see America prosper. He doesn't want to see you prosper in any way, shape, or form. All this man cares about is getting re-elected. Re-elected. He spit in his own he would spit in his own mother's face to get elected. People around him have said that all he cares about is getting reelected. So he's going to try to ruin the post office, tear it down uh, to do that at no end. And he's not making any bones about it. The Republicans know, Democrats know it, independents know it, the world knows it. This man is trying to tear the post office down. Even Putin. His staunch ally is criticizing him, that he's not able to handle the coronavirus the way Russia has. It's true. He hasn't been able to handle the virus the way any country has, where they're seeing their numbers go down. U.S., the United States, is seeing their numbers go up, and you wonder what the hell is going on. And, you know, I mean – so many countries are looking down on the U.S. It, it's just baffling. And they're blaming one guy, Trump. They're not blaming the citizens of America. They're looking at Trump. Trump wants to make you think that you're, that Americans are the people that other countries are laughing at. No. Those other countries are laughing at Trump as we along in America are also laughing at Trump. But anyway, let me get back to the post office. Uh, yeah, he wants to tear it down. He wants to make sure that mail-in votes, mail-in votes are are illegal. He's claiming fraud with no proof. You know what they calling it? Conspiracy? I can't even say it. Conspiracy theories. Um, he has no proof. He has no nothing. He he lies through his teeth, just like so many other people have said, including uh, I can't think of his name. He's uh, and maybe it'll come to me later. But anyway, he he he's lying about the about the post office and the, and fraud and 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 crime that go along with mail in voting. It's not true. It's not true. But he said one thing that was true: it it mail in voting will be the demise of the Republicans. That's true. But as far as crime and fraud and it, it hasn't. And the baffling thing is that Trump himself has done <laughs> mail-in voting from the Oval Office, voting in when he wants to vote in a primary. He does it. In other words, mail-in voting is good for Donald Trump, but not for the rest of us. 
in some ways he thinks he's better than we are. We're peasants, we're slaves, so we don't get the vote, get get to do mail-in voting like he does because he's the president or king. And that's the way it's always been for the Republicans. They do something one way, and if we try to do it the same way, uh, we're breaking the law. But the post office, I I don't want to see the post office go down. I mean, all these employees, we, we're not going to be able to get our mail. Jobs will be lost. I, so I threw a question out to here this morning on Facebook, looking for real good and sensible ideas on how to stop Trump from ruining our post office. It's our country. And I've got a few responses, but nothing uh, uh, concrete. The saying how they would, you know, uh, stop Trump from ruining the post office. He's already, excuse me, he's already got some guy running it. A new postmaster. I don't even know his name. I didn't even try to get his name because I know why he's there. He's there to to run the post office for Americans. That's what he's there for. Just like Mitch McConnell is, uh, no, he's going to lose his election in Kentucky. What is he doing? He's trying to stack as many unqualified judges to the court than ever. So when he leaves and if he has to go to prison, he run into one of those judges that he appointed. He expects that judge to get him off because that judge owes his job to Mitch McConnell. It's all a racket. It's all, same with Trump. And McConnell is appointing judges, unqualified judges all around the country to get Trump off if, he just, if, if and when he leaves the office. Get him off because he's gone straight to prison. So, and he knows Trump knows he's going to find himself up facing off one of those judges that he or Mitch McConnell has appointed and he expects to get off totally free or with a light sentence. That's what it's all about. I keep diverting from the post office. It is just so much mess out here, folks, to talk about. And so much garbage to be simulated. It's just unreal. The riots, uh, the thuggery of the police officers, the murderers in the police uh, ranks. It's just awful. But anyway, uh, let's get back to the post office. Get back to the post office because this is what this segment is about. Okay. <clears throat> So I was throwing it out there if anybody, if any American had any ideas whatsoever on how to save our post office. Like I said, I haven't got any concrete answers on there. So I, um, I came up with my own scenario. If Trump, when, not if, but when uh, the money runs out uh, for the post office, I'm hearing that it may be around September. That the money runs out and the post office is saying that they cannot function if they don't have money to run the post office. And if they don't have money to run the post office, that's going to affect mail-in votes. If you see my post here on Facebook, you probably know what I'm about to say. 
uh, it's a tragic that people would be thrown out of work. It, it's a tragic that we will not be able to get our mail. The thing is that tr- the funding that Trump is holding up is taxpayer funds. It's not his money. I think it's somewhere in the Constitution that the post office has to be funded. If it's not, it should be. The post office has to be funded. No bones about that. But Donald Trump is so afraid of losing the election, which it shows in every poll that he will. He will come up with anything and everything to save his ass from going to prison. And I've said this many times. I think Trump is running not to be reelected, but running to stay out of jail, prison. And I still believe that, and a lot of us believe that. So he's going to screw around with the post office. And I said, I've said many times, if Trump had went the election and found to have cheated, it should be annulled. Cheating. Most of the time, anything, anytime you cheat at something, it's a no. Oh, man, you cheated at cards. It's not fair. Play over. Uh, you get thrown out of the game. Trump cheats. He lies and thugs and, 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 and criminalize, become a criminal and cheats and wins, and everybody knows it. It should be quickly annulled, period. But I've said this many times. Let's say if Trump does win, God forbidden, that he wins the 2020 election. He becomes president again. And the Democrats take the Senate. So the Democrats will have the House and the Senate, and we'll have Trump as president in 2021. What can happen there? The Senate which did not do its job in, 20, in 2020, 2019. The Senate, the Democratic Senate, he's already been impeached by the House. The Democratic Senate that takes over in November will impeach him. So Trump is up against two scenarios. Either he loses in November and he's out or he wins and the Democrats take the Senate 2020 they will impeach him and he's out so he so he can cheat all he wants to to win he will still be impeached and thrown out in 2021 because he's already been impeached by the House. The House is not going to impeach him again. All the, the Senate has to impeach him. As we know, a, re, a Republican Senate is not going to impeach him. They're going to kiss his ass. But once in November, the Republicans lose the Senate, Mitch is giving his walking papers, and, and the Democrats are seated. They can impeach him, and he'll be out on his ass then. So so he cannot screw up our country anymore because he is really, really wrecking it. This guy is no leader. Uh, okay, we're going to get back to talking about uh, the post office. Okay, I've, uh, as I've said, let me uh, 
say this again. Looking for real good and simple ideas on how to stop Trump from ruining the post offices. So I came up with this. I said the post office will not run out of will run out of funding in September. It will affect the ballots and the election, which Trump which Trumps wants. Therefore, the holding up the money after September, when the money runs out. Or the post office should be – in other words, I'm saying if the money runs out in the uh, in September and Trump refused to fund it and money runs out and blah, blah, everything goes chaos, I think that the employees and America should take over the post office. We just go there and, and dedicated employees come back to work in the post office without a check, without money, without funding, just to keep the mail going, just to keep the mail in ballots. Uh, getting to people who can't get out to vote. Basically, that's what mail-in ballots are for. If you can't make it out, you might be in a wheelchair, you might be in a bed, you might be an invalid or something. Uh, this is not fair for Trump to hold up mail-in ballots of people who are invalid themselves. You know, I mean, if you can get out there and stand in a line or, and uh, go to a polling place, that's great. But what I'm saying is if the post office runs out of money, uh, Trump and his goons refuse to fund fund it, as they've said, then the people should take it over. The people should take over the post office to make sure it runs, to make sure the mail gets through. Because what's that old saying? Winter, spring, summer, rain, fall, snow, the mail gets through always. That's the way it should be. So if he, this is my thought, but anybody out there, if you see, if you see what I posted on Facebook, you want to use it, use it. If you listen to the show and, and you, you like the idea, then go tell other people, use it. I don't care. My thing is to defeat Trump, period. Whether it's my idea, your idea, anybody's idea. Get that fucker out of there. Anyway, um. Trump is committed to doing – Trump is not committed to, to doing the right thing. He doesn't give a fuck. He doesn't give a fuck. I hope I wrote that. Post office employees would work right on through uh, September, November, uh, September, October, November to get the mail through, to get the ballots through, to get the post office through. We have to fight Trump. You don't because if you don't fight Trump is a bully, he's a coward, he he can't lead, he doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about, he doesn't know what he's doing. He only thing he knows how to do is cut, 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 hurt people. I think the guy has cut over a hundred programs using his executive authority. He doesn't go through Congress to do anything. None not nothing is done legislatively. He uses his pen. You know, he tries to act as if Congress isn't there. There's no House of Representatives. There's no senators. And all those senators in in the Senate who voted for him, Trump will throw them under the bus in a minute. He doesn't give a damn about them. <laughs> and they voted to keep his ass in office after the Democrats impeached him. Trump doesn't care about nothing. He doesn't even care about the people, his base. He doesn't give a fuck about them. He doesn't care about his own base, the people who keeps his ass in office. 
but he wants them to vote for him. Well, anyway, I don't give a shit about you, but vote for me anyway. You know, this is what Donald Trump wants. And he gets it from some of them. But I'm hearing some of his base is just sick and tired of him. And they've uh, they pretty much left him. I don't think Putin is too too much crazy about Trump anymore because Trump is such an idiot and a failure. And I don't think he cares anymore for Trump. Trump kisses his ass, but Putin doesn't care for Trump. And I think Trump knows it, but he doesn't care. Over 115,000, 16,000, 17,000 people have died from the coronavirus. Not one goddamn word from Trump. This man proves he doesn't give a fuck. He doesn't care. He wants people to die. If he tried to say anything or do anything, which he's, which has in the past came to fruition, he makes it worse. <laughs> he makes it worse. A lot of deaths are on his hands. There's no doubt about that. And this is something that should probably come up in court after he's, it will come up in court. And how he has just broke the Constitution laws of the United States because he wants to be king. He wants to be a dictator. Trump can never, people say, well, he's a dictator. No, he's not. He could never, as long as we have the Constitution, we have no dictator. He can try to dictate. He can uh, mimic Adolf Hitler all he wants. Uh, I'm pretty sure he read Mein Kampf, <laughs> probably, if he reads it all. Anyway, that's my, excuse me, that's something in my throat. That's what I'm saying here is that the post office is a vital institution. Post office, there is no no America, and Trump knows this. This is why he going. Trump's going after everything we love. I remember seeing the actress Mel Streep. I think she was on television doing an interview, and Trump was about to be elected. She didn't want to see Trump in the office, just like a lot of us didn't want to see Trump in the office. And she said something like, Trump is coming after everything we love. And boy, was she right on the money. This was before Trump even became president, but he was running, he was campaigning. She said that, um, and he has, and he will. This make America great again shit was all a con was all the con to get your vote. And never forget that Russia helped him get elected. And never forget that Hillary had three million more votes than he did. She won the popular vote. How in the hell did he win the electoral vote? That's not fair. A lot of people are saying get rid of the electoral vote. The Republicans aren't are not <laughs> but if it had gone against the Republicans, they'd be screaming, get rid of their electoral vote. And the Democrats probably would have done it. Anyway, um, keep the post office running. Keep it running. It, it, keep people working, even if they're not working for a paycheck. Keep it running so we can get those mail-in ballots so we can get this asshole out of there. Keep the post office running with people. Uh like is running today, I'm hoping this could happen. 
I'm hoping people will keep it running, keep it up going, keep it. You can take my idea, use it for your own. Say you thought of it first, but get it out there to people who can do something, do something with it. You know what I'm saying? It's just that I, like so many other people, want to see this man out. So keep working at the post office, funding or no funding. Keep driving those trucks. Keep delivering that mail, funding or no funding, because the payback will be a defeat of Donald Trump. That will be your pay, the defeat of Donald Trump. Get his ass out of there. You know, he's trying to control everything just to keep stay in office. If Donald Trump wins this time, it's not the end of the fucking world, but he will not. But if he does, it's not the end of the world because we will have a Democratic Senate. And the Senate will impeach him, and then he'll be out on his ass because, as I've said, the House of Representatives, they have already impeached him. He's impeached once, and it's so it's so surreal that Donald Trump and the Republicans are walking around as if Donald Trump has not been impeached. They're trying to say uh, the Democrats' impeachment of Donald Trump don't mean anything. It's nothing. Oh, yes, it does. It will go down in history that he's been impeached. Just because we don't say it every day, no, it's not on the front page news, doesn't make him any less impeached. All right, you've been listening to the George Wanda Jr. Show on Block Talk Radio. We've been talking about, well, I've been talking about the post office. Wow, I, I just don't want to be around if the post office is not around anymore. So Donald Trump is way, way, way down in the polls. And he knows he's going to lose. The only way he will win is to cheat. The only way any Republican will win office is to cheat. Even if they're getting ignorant-ass people to vote for him, that's cheating. The only way Donald Trump has a chance is cheating and dismantling uh, uh, things, uh, voter protection, voter suppression. But I have a feeling people are just so sick of this goon, this idiot, this clown, they will walk through fire, literally, to get this jackass out of office to vote. Suppress them, suppress the uh, vote if you want. Stop the post office, stop mail-in votes. That doesn't mean that he's going to win. You have to remember that, too. He can stop, uh, he can suppress the mail-in voting. But still, that doesn't mean he's going to win because that's just going to make the lines at the polling places a lot longer. That's all that's going to be. People are going to be coming out in their crutches, their wheelchairs, their scooters (laughs) to cast their vote to get rid of this fucking man. All right, you've been listening to the George Walter Jr. Show on Blog Talk Radio. I haven't been on in a while. (laughs) I don't know. I, sometimes I'm just lazy. <laughs> yeah. I know it's here and I know it's lazy. And I've, I've had a lot of fun on the show. And I'm going to keep doing it as long as I, I can do it. I do it every day or every two or three times a week as long as I do it. And as long as I know there's someone out here listening. 
you know, it's not about money. I, I don't get anything for this, but <clears throat> but I have to uh, pay myself. But you know, yeah, well, uh, people people are in dire straits. So yeah, you know, there's no charge to listen to the George Wilder Jr. show because I know you're in dire straits. You don't have any money, you know. So um, and I always thought about getting sponsors and. I just don't feel like being told what to do, and uh, especially when you work for yourself, which of, which is what I do. Uh, you really don't want a lot of people coming in and being around you, telling you what to do, telling you how to do things, and expecting money. <clears throat> so I, I try to do it all myself. I'm a producer, director, and writer of the show, and we're going into 2021. So that's a good thing, and. And that's a good thing. Okay, we're going to take a musical break here, folks. We're going to be right back.
you know that they're bad, you probably don't know how bad. In the country, in 2016, we had just over 63,000 um, overdose deaths. Two-thirds of them were because of opioids that were laced with fentanyl. It is a scourge, the likes of which people who are in the uh, addiction community, in the police community, they say they haven't seen anything like this ever. Not meth, not crack. And there are a lot of reasons for that. But that's a separate part of the conversation. The main question is, what are we going to do about it? This White House says they are aware and they're taking charge. Kellyanne Conway is not just a senior advisor to the president. She has been tasked with overseeing this. We know that there was an allocation in the budget about it now. We know that in, in this spending measure, we know that there was an allocation in the long-term budget. What is enough? What is going to be done? A worthy discussion. Kellyanne, thank you for taking the time. Thank you for having me, Christopher, and for really shining a light on what truly is the crisis next door. The president in New Hampshire on Monday mm. rolled out his policy plan. He is attacking the opioid crisis and the drug demand crisis overall on three major fronts, prevention and education, treatment and recovery, and law enforcement and interdiction. The president is tackling all of those simultaneously, not sequentially, because we have to really fight this battle on three fronts. And the president himself has said that he wants a massive public-facing ad campaign where we are deploying facts and figures and messages to people, sometimes shocking the conscience and sometimes warming the heart with those stories of recovery and, and treatment access. As you've noted, the president's, uh, the, the Congress really met the president's request to have significant funding, new funding, for the opioid and drug demand crisis. A $3 billion this fiscal year, $3 billion next fiscal year, a total of over $13 billion is the package that Secretary Azar has been mentioning. And uh, with those funds, we plan to beef up the interdiction, disrupt the supply of illicit drugs coming into our country. 90% or so of our heroin comes through our southern border. And uh, about 8 or 9 and 10 of new heroin users say that they started through prescription drugs. As you say, opioids is very tricky. It starts in your family medicine cabinet often, too often enough, and that little bottle bears a label that says the family doctor and the local pharmacy. But treatment's important, and this president is calling for lifting a 40-year ban on, on mental health facilities uh, because now they're being used to treat people with addiction. And if you fill that 17th bed, you don't get Medicaid reimbursement. We have a long list of people waiting for treatment and empty beds. He doesn't want that to persist any longer. But the strides his administration have made are many. Uh, he's calling for a one-third reduction in prescribing. We are about 5% of the world's population, and we consume about 80% of its mm. opioids. So it, it needs to stop. And we want to make sure that all Americans are written into this. People can go online today, Christopher, and go to Crisis Not Next Store crisisnextdoor.gov, and literally share their stories. Yesterday we showed a story from Mitchell, Missouri. 
he shared his story since the president mentioned this website on Monday. And it's a, it's a very compelling story of a young man who is fighting back from his addiction. But he's talking about how he got started, what the gateways were, how mm -hmm. to spot those signs, and, and what we can all do for each other. So thank you for helping us bring attention to it. If people don't know what fentanyl is, really educate yourselves. We're suffering from information underload. This is a, a synthetic opioid being manufactured outside of this country, mm -hmm. being brought through our mails, through our border, southern border, which is part of why the president wants the wall. It's sitting in our sanctuary cities, and it is, uh, it's literally killing us. Fentanyl is 50 times the potency of heroin and 100 times right. the potency of morphine. Well, look, first of all, uh, good on you uh, for taking the responsibility to head this up for the White House. This matters. It's an important thing. It's good to see the action being taken. Now, the debate to have uh, and the testing to do here is how much and where. You know, uh, because you know, especially China being highlighted with the tariffs right now uh, about intellectual property theft, true, true. They also make a ton of fentanyl that gets brought into this country, sometimes the right way, sometimes the wrong way. That's something that should be approached. But really, uh, the pushback is going to be this. Has. Yeah, but I mean, that, that could be done in a much more fulsome way. You want to be aggressive about something. That's something where you'd get probably all the American people behind you uh, because this is killing us literally. So you're putting money into it. That's good. I know you heard this on the ground in New Hampshire because, as you know, we did a documentary up there. We highlighted their fight against this drug. They in West Virginia are being overwhelmed in a way a lot of other places aren't, and they are laboratories for the problem. We need to put a lot more money than you're putting in here right now. It's not even close. Uh, the death ratio is so much more than HIV and AIDS, yet the funding ratio in terms of addressing the problem is nowhere near close. You have only about 10% of the addicted population that has access and ability to fund treatment. If we did that with cancer or heart disease, uh, we would have a plague on our hands of death. We have to do more and more money has to get to the local communities. How do you do that? Well, Christopher, we agree that more money has to get to the local communities. Uh, we are, this is a federal, state, and local and community effort. This is the White House, he is the president. He is an engaging, captivating, edifying speaker at that podium, including at New, in New Hampshire on Monday. So I think that with the president and the first lady bringing attention to this issue, it's going to go a long way to just the basics of educating people and honestly putting the fear into some of our youth from not buying that street drug for $10, from not getting, getting hooked in the first place, and yet recognizing so many people in this country already suffering from the dis, dis, disorder with these drugs and helping them. Now, I want to say something about the money. That is Congress's job to appropriate the money. This president declared a public health emergency. Congress has met the president's request, which was a historic request for new funding for opioids. No president, no administration has anything had anything close to this, ever had anything close to this. And we know it does take money. And it also takes lifting or changing these crazy rules that really prevent people from accessing and remaining in treatment. We also, in our opioids cabinet, We've involved the departments and agencies and the cabinet secretaries that you would expect, DHS, mm -hmm. DOJ, VA, HHS. But we also have involved USDA. So they've put out guidance Good. for rural American, uh, America on opioids. We've also involved Department of Labor and HUD. Why? Good. Because we recognize that when people, if they're lucky enough to be in the drug course, they're lucky enough mm -hmm. to get into treatment, and they're lucky enough to come out, it's still a small percentage. Of, of complete recovery. If they're fortunate enough, they come out and the only thing familiar to them are the drugs. That's right. There's, this is a president who's also committed very passionately Good. and with dollars to skills education, to workforce development, to connecting 
people with with their corporal needs. With we're talking right. to HUD and and my my colleague over there in terms of housing opportunities. So you've got to you've got to tackle this whole. There's a whole continuum of care that's smart yes, talk. and we're not going to tackle it overnight. The, the numbers could get worse not. before they get better. They're, they're getting worse every day. Uh, it has it's something that has to be addressed. It hits in a lot of different ways. People become addicted for a lot of different reasons. But, but on on China and fentanyl, I wanted to just say this because it's yeah. incredibly important. And, and most, most outlets are not covering fentanyl today, so thank you. 20,000 deaths last year alone. So with fentanyl, the de Department of Justice announced the first two indictments of Chinese nationals right. who were in fentanyl tra traffickers. They have also filed a statement of interest with the civil litigation that the states have put forward. I went to the press conference with Attorney General Sessions and the and Democratic and Republican state attorneys generals who are part of this. Right. The president has directed them to, to take a look at the litigation. And also, you see so many of these com you see so many of these companies now, and so many of these states really, and the pharmaceutical companies saying, you know what, we support the first prescription being seven days, not thirty. And let me make clear to your viewers, this is not. We're talking about opioids. We're not talking about chronic pain sufferers. That's right. Palliative care and pain management That's is correct. still real. A lot of people need it. need it. Not everybody who it. takes pain management medicine is an addict. Yes. Uh, we understand that. There's a lot of stigma that goes on with this. This is what I was saying. I'm saying there's a place for tough talk. Uh, and if you want to go after the threat, go after the makers of these drugs. Uh, I think the tough talk about, hey, make a better choice with kids, that uh, is a little bit misleading about how addiction happens. And the tough talk about, well, let's kill the, the drug kingpins, I know that that appeals to the base and harshness is often perceived as strength. But you are not going to no, punish your way out of this problem. Um, yeah, well, you, you know that, right? I, you talk to experts, they'll that. say the death penalty is barely a deterrent on any level, let alone when it comes to addiction. And it's not about killing the drug kingpins. Nobody's going to defend be... the drug kingpins, but you're not going to punish your way out of the problem, no matter how good that sounds. Well, That's you may, why you may think nobody's defending the drug kingpins. Some are, but very few have been punishing them. We have got a kingpin statute on the books for decades. And the, 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 yeah, the Supreme General Court just... doesn't like it, though. It, it, it has a hard time with, uh, eight, with Eighth Amendment muster. The, but the Attorney General two days ago put out guidance to all U.S. attorneys' offices. Again, you can pull it up. You can put it right. on the screen if you like, or your viewers can watch it. What the president is saying is, and he's absolutely right, that we don't have tough sentences because a lot of those minimum sentences go by the weight of the drug. And right. so with fentanyl, literally you need about two milligrams right. You can change the dose. sentencing. I'm just saying the call was to kill them. And not only are you going to have a Supreme he Court problem there. He said many things. He said tougher sentences. But and he, he said, said kill drug dealers. That's what he's no, 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 he did not say kill drug dealers. He said in very specific cases. The he Department said kill drug kingpins. Christopher, there's a two-page. Well, hold on. There's a two. Well, good. There's a two-page. No, I don't think now, that gets you out of the problem. And you say the base likes it. He didn't say it gets out of the problem. He's actually tackling it on these three major fronts, and you know True. it. And that we have matters. a first lady who's taken this issue on. She's incredibly popular, and she's given such voice and visibility to neonatal Good abstinence syndrome. We have 25 babies being born addicted Good thing every to day do. It's in this a huge country. Scourge. It's all over the if place. If anybody wants to, to volunteer their time, go for it in your community. It's a great cause. Let me ask you something. Uh, there's a lot of good work that needs to be done. There are a lot of big problems. There are distractions. And it's a nonpartisan issue, Christopher. This legislation there's, there's should no be passing uh, listen, unanimously. I wish I did not know as much about this problem as That's I right. do. I wish I had lived you it the way the front lines. I have. We appreciate I get it. it. I get it. I get how real it is. It's good what you're doing. More has to be done, and the effort has to be very focused, and we have to talk the right talk. That's why I'm checking you on those points. Let me ask you something else, though. All of this work that needs to be done there is compromised. Uh, by the drama that's going on in that place, whether it's the turnover uh, and now 
these stories with these women that are coming out that are not, uh, you know me, I'm not about getting into people's private affairs. That's not what I'm into. It's not a matter of public concern in my estimation. However, oh. the way they're being handled are creating potential legal situations for a sitting president of the United States. How much of a distraction, how difficult is it to get the job done there with these looming legal questions surrounding these women and, of course, the political intrigue of all the shakeups you have there? The the answer you see every single day. This is a very active president. Look at everything that happened just this week. He's hardly retreating into a cocoon. He's the most active president, as I like to say, he's a well, man of action. He's spending a lot of time about talk. this. That's the fight with no, Joe Biden. No. That's the tweets about this stuff. No, no, no. Sorry, he doesn't spend much time on that. Joe Biden, like that woman who lost the election, his name I don't say on your network anymore, they seem pretty upset. Took you longer than I thought it would, by the way. Yes, I, want you, I think uh, I owe no, someone lunch. No, no, no. Why do they keep mentioning him and his voters and the election? It's kind he of He could run for president point. of the United States, and the president brought him up. The president it's went kind after of Joe odd. Biden. Well, well, excuse me. No, no, no. Vice President Biden went after him and, and talked about Only one violence. is president, Kellyanne. Hold Only on. Only one is excuse president. Me. But one was vice president for eight years. True. And, and, and let's not talk about all the things that didn't get done. You and I just spent 10 minutes talking about a biggie. That, that man was vice president for eight years. I respect his public service. I, I honor his public service. However, if people in that kind of position, a former vice president, a former secretary of state, and twice failed presidential candidate, but also first lady of the country, they have considerable platforms. Why aren't they using them for more good? Where is her, where is her center for women and girls? Why isn't he talking no, no, no. about, why, so doesn't, why doesn't he call me today and help take, on the drug but, crisis? But don't take us down the road. I don't care no. what she's why doing. She is not in charge of keeping my kids safe. You guys cover the 2016 elections. No, no, no. You're no, no. in power. Here's what you we're control both on. houses of Congress so and the White House. It's all on you, my friend. And that's why the Omnibus got through. That's why we now have funding for the wall, for the military, for school safety, for opioids, for so many of the president's priorities, Christopher. This town was mocking the wall two years ago, and now they're funding it. That's Donald Trump. That's Washington. He's the most I don't know no, how the no, wall but, makes but, any more sense now than it did two years ago. But this president, look at what he did know, just when this week. When these guys made it up. Just this week, he rolled out, rolled out a two-page, everybody should read it, very specific, very significant drug policy. Then yesterday, he took action against China because the USTR released a report that said that we are losing innovation in the future and that there has been intellectual property right. theft. And so he's taken action on that instead of just talking about it. Whether Look or not it's the right the action, though, winds up becoming a basis for the scrutiny. Cuts. Of course I you want to talk, talk about, about the tax cuts. Of course but I want to talk 4. about them. 4.5 million Americans have benefited directly from bonuses, <laughs> from raises. That doesn't even scratch. Girl, fellas.
right, folks, it's George Wilder doing the show is just about off the air. I'm looking at some pictures of myself my son took of me, and some I'm impressive. Some are impressive. Some are not. And I'm angry. But anyway, the George Wilder Jr. show is about just about off the air. Um, make sure that you come up with some ideas on how to save the post office. If you don't think my idea works, maybe yours is a lot better. Uh, because I know it's some smart people out there among a lot of stupid people. And uh, it's our post office. It's an institution. It's th- hey, hey, this is our country. This is America. It belongs to us. It doesn't belong to Trump. Trump wants to take it for his own. And if you think about it, Trump owes a lot of money to a lot of people. And I do think that America is his bargaining chip. The man's a con man. He's not even a businessman. He's not even a, a good businessman. Six bankruptcies so far. Seventh with the American, with America, actually. Seventh. And now he wants to ruin uh, more institutions inside America. He didn't gutted a lot of programs, folks. I mean, if you research this stuff, you'll see all the programs that he's cut, gutted, uh, environmental protections for birds. But birds, he's gutted these things because he gets mad and pissed and angry, so he decides to go and cut programs. I bet he gets up every morning and asks his aide, what can I cut today? What can I fuck up now? And, you know, his aide shows him what he can screw up. And he doesn't care. And I do think Donald Trump is kind of sick, not just in the head, but I think he's sick physically. I think something's wrong with him physically. If you think about it, he walks slower, his speech is more slurred, and 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 garbage only comes out. Um, he's no leader. He's not fit to be a leader of the union. He's not fit to hold any public office, period. Um, so anyway, the George Wilder Jr. show is off the air. I hope we can uh, stay tuned tomorrow. I'll be, on, I'll be on tomorrow, and I'll be on for the rest of the week, and we're going to try and make that happen. If nothing, <laughs> if nothing else... Uh, uh, comes up where uh, something is more important than me not being on the air, which I don't think nothing will. Um, I'm at home just like you are. You know, I'm at home working for myself. You may be at home because you have been laid off and things like that. The, uh, this virus, before I go, I'd like to say one thing about the virus. It's real. And some people say this is the second wave. I can understand that because a lot of people have been dumb by not following guidelines of the guidelines of staying safe. And and uh, that should be followed. You know, you have to stay safe. I mean, if you want the virus to go away, it's up to you to make it go away by staying at home or if you go out, wear a mask. Uh, social distancing. These things actually work. They work, folks. I know it's a lot of people out there saying, well, I'm, I don't want to wear a mask. I'm too cute. I don't want to hide my face. I look good. And, you know, and then you wind up in the hospital. Yeah, you, <laughs> and then you end up in the hospital looking good, you know, but you're dying. You're just still looking good, right? 
wear a mask. It doesn't matter how cute you are, how handsome you are. You don't want to hide. Nobody wants to do that. I mean, if you look good, you want to show it. You got on great clothes, you want to go out there and show them off. But you want to stay alive, too. You want to stay alive. I see so many people uh, when I go out, even if I just go out to the store, I see so many people without masks. They just, and every time I see someone without a mask, I feel like they're flaunting it in front of my face. I feel like they're saying, well, you know, they're, they're flaunting it in front of my face and other people by saying that they're too good to wear a mask. They don't want to wear a mask because they don't think they're going to get the virus. They don't want to wear a mask because they're assholes. They don't want to wear a mask because, you know, but it, there's a lot of places now, right now, that you can't even go into. You can't go into a business, some business establishments, maybe a hell of a lot, without a face mask. They will tell you, you got to have a face mask. And some people get pissed off and angry when, when, they're, when they're told to put on a face mask. That doesn't make sense. I've heard a lot of violence have come of that, asking someone to put on a mask before they come into a, a store or some sort of a establishment. And they pull out a gun and shoot the person asking them to put on a mask. Just stinks. That just sucks. <laughs> but uh, anyway, wear your mask out there. I mean, uh, if you, you know, if you can't um, keep a, a, a social distance from some of the people you may know or come in contact with, wear a mask. If you can keep six feet away from people. Maybe you don't need a mask. But a lot of the people I see out here are in groups. They're, I mean, they're right up on each other. They're not keeping space between each other. They're, they're saying, fuck the virus. Fuck the people who want to, who tells them to wear a mask. You know, I mean, if you don't wear a mask, that's your, that, that's your problem. Because you've heard that the virus may be in its second wave. People are dying. There's over maybe by the time this show is over, there'll be 120,000 Americans dead from this. And the majority of the dead are those who did not follow the guidelines, wearing a mask, keeping six feet apart. Because the virus transfer transfers from one person to the next. Little droplets, you know, somebody talking in your face and blowing stuff, spit in your face. That could be a virus. That could be the virus. So wear your mask. And, you know, wear your mask. I mean, you know, because people are dying. And they're dying of all ages. Of all ages. People are dying from this of all ages. All colors. All backgrounds. So forget that nonsense that, that it kills blacks only or that it kills older people only. thing kills anybody who does not keep uh, the guidelines. Who are not staying safe. All right, you've been listening to the George Wilder Jr. Show. Thank you, everybody. We're going to be off the air. Make sure you join me tomorrow. You can always podcast this show or any show that I've done. Uh, they're, <laughs> they're on Block Talk Radio. I, you know, I never called this show a podcast. A lot of people say, well, George, we like to be on your podcast. I, I don't have a podcast, I have a radio show. But, you know, I, I will take that. Uh, you know, it's okay. It's fine. It's fun. All right, everybody, thanks a lot, and I hope you enjoyed the show. Bye-bye. Oh, we have to... uh...
Okay. We have to do this. Okay. Thanks, everybody, uh, for listening to the show and downloading the show and telling other people about the show. We'll see you tomorrow. Bye.